again, happy Mother's Day. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to uh, Daniel chapter 12. And I don't believe there's children's church today. So, there is? Okay. Well, that's good. Now you get an extra long sermon, so. (laughs) So, if you have uh, kids that would love to go down to children's church, you can make your way down right now. And uh, everyone else, you can turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 12. And... uh, we, today is the last day of our series in the book of Daniel. I don't hear anyone clapping. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. Uh, we're going to finish off our book of Daniel today, and uh, then we're going to move on to something else for the summer. Uh, just to let you know uh, that next week, uh, Bruce is actually coming down uh, from Pine Ridge, and he's going to be sharing a little bit on Sunday morning about what God is doing there. Uh, so you want to stick around for that. And then after that, what we'll do for the summer is we're going to start a series called True and Better. And we're going to be looking at the different uh, stuff in the church doctrinal statement. And the reason I believe that is, or I believe that we should go through that series right now is because I believe that we just came out of a season where everyone's really not sure what to believe anymore. There was a lot of disinformation. And so what I want to do this summer is I want to give you Uh, a number of things that you can take to the bank that are true and certain and relax in your faith. So let me start off beginning the series and uh, or introducing our our topic today, and then we'll get started. As you uh, recall, we started Daniel Daniel looking at a man named Jeroakim. Now, does anyone remember who Jeroakim was by any chance? Oh, guys. (laughs) Yeah, Colton. He was the king of Israel. In particular, why, what made him stand out? He was the last king of Israel before Babylon invaded. Okay? And what we know is that uh, what makes him interesting is we, when we studied him, we not only called him an evil king, we called him a foolish king because he tried to keep Judah from falling when God had specifically told him that it was going to fall no matter what he did. So what happened here is in, he actually takes the time, and instead of getting the people ready to live in exile, instead of getting them ready to live in a culture that's not their own, he spends time trying to keep his way of life from falling apart. And as a result, because of how foolish he was in trying to establish something that God has decreed to fall, the people, when they were exiled, they were leaderless, they were not sure what to do, they didn't know how to handle it. And I think in the same way, we, uh, the Canada is in that same way. We were once a great nation founded on the word of God, but uh, we see all these events in our time that lead us to believe that the direction that we are heading in is a culture in a Canada that is, if it's not there already, is antithetical to the faith that we believe. I don't think, I started out the the, the series saying that I don't think it's reasonable, short of a revival, for Christians in Canada to assume that the nation will come anywhere close to adopting Christian values in the near future. And that actually poses a series of interesting questions for you and I. How do we live for Jesus? How do we survive in a culture like that without all the supports? And so what we've been doing is we've been going through the entire book of Daniel, uh, learning how to do that because that was Daniel's 
situation. The Canada that you know, the Alberta that you know, the Three Hills that you know, even the ghost pine that you were born into is not the one that you're living in today. The church culture has changed, the Alberta culture has changed, the Canadian culture has changed, and it is a big, big, uh, complex question is how does the, 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 the tension between Christianity and the culture, and I, I want to, as we wrap up the series, I want to spend, I just want to show you a three-minute video about a discussion between two church leaders about how this is affecting uh, the church today, so if you can play it really quickly for us today. Uh, sorry, it's just Second, three minutes third long. Third generation is something that uh, is going to be important. And we got to figure out how to do that. So um, and I think there's a points out something crazy. So in Quebec, which I'm not sure all the viewers or listeners would totally know, but that's the French part of the French province of Canada. Uh, I think it's the second most populated province in the whole country. Yeah, it is. There's yeah. like, I don't know, six, seven million people in Quebec. Right. So um, it, it used to be one of the highest per capita religious places on planet earth. Yes. Okay. It was completely Roman Catholic. Completely Roman Catholic. So the, the Jesuits ran everything. The priests ran yeah. everything. So that's in like, let's say the fifties. Yeah. Forties and the fifties. It was per, one of the most religious places on the earth. Now, fast forward to 2020, 21, it's one of the least. Like we're talking Deeply like secular. the same levels of Saudi Arabia, I think Mark Nall <laughs> yeah. points out per capita yeah. of like yeah. Christianity or something, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's gone through this kind of change and that kind of secular impact has gone across Canada for all kinds of different reasons. Plus people, you've seen people coming to Jesus. Oh, yeah. We've seen people coming to Jesus. People are interested in these things. And so there is hope. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting to me because I think you can see it happening in strata in the United States. So for example, the coasts, particularly New England, the Northeast, New York City, and then the whole left coast would be definitely more post-Christian sure. than say Louisiana, Mississippi, Texas, mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. But if you're in the Bible Belt, you see it generationally, mm -hmm. right? You will see that the boomer parents, grandparents are Christians, but the Gen X younger millennial kids or Gen Z sure. uh, younger millennial kids, they're like, no, I really have a different viewpoint of the world. It's a question of, do you want to actually continue teaching the Bible and theology? Will that work anymore? You know, we we're talking about right, that. Right, or right. do you abandon theology and just kind of ride your unicycle around and try to attract people to your church? <laughs> and it's like, no, you got to teach the Bible because it's the power of God and the salvation. It actually works. Um, but Carson said, if you don't do that, if you pivot away from that, he says, Generation, the first generation is going to assume that people just know Christianity. And so they're going to, the second generation will question it. And the third generation will just walk away from it. Mm. Um, and it's this idea that like, no, you actually do. Every generation have to come back to biblical, theological thinking, philosophical right. worldview building thinking, and not just assume it and move on to praxis and behavior. A, that theologically, we don't need to get into detail, details, but you would be rather orthodox theologically. Yeah, and I, and I think as, as you have studied, you have studied this, and, and I've looked at this, where uh, in Canada and in the United States and across the world, the, the denominations that go away from orthodox Christianity being centered theologically on the Bible and the gospel, mm. and they die. Yeah. The bottom line is they die. Jesus rose from the dead in your heart but not in reality, no one gets up early and dies for that. 
I just thought it was uh, an interesting video to look at. It's about an hour long, and they talk about the different changes that they're seeing in Canadian culture and how to lift that. And I think that's really important because I don't know if you caught it, but there is a temptation as the culture changes to change what we believe along with it. And I want to say to you right now that it is actually more, the great challenge before the church is not to change what we believe. Are the great challenge before the church today in Canada, in Alberta, in Three Hills, is to figure a way to change the way that we share the unchanging message of Jesus Christ, right? Because we live in a culture that is going to change, okay? And so what I am going to ask, and so that is really the reason why we've been going through the book of Daniel, right? And so the question that I want to ask at the end of the series is this, is have you spent, uh, have you spent the past four months uh, ensuring that you rely more on Jesus than your strong Christian family or your school, or your parents' faith, or your church or Christian culture? If, how have you changed the way that you are strong in the Lord the last little while? Like, and the, maybe the better simple question is this, is that at the end of the series, I want to I ask this question of you, and that's this. Could your faith survive if normal never returned? If your parents walked away from Jesus, would your faith survive? If you had a strong Christian family and all of a sudden something happened that lost that, would your relationship with Jesus survive? If you had to live in a different culture other than the one that you know now, could your relationship with Jesus survive? That has been the whole kind of thinking and mentality that I've been trying to get you to think of. Could you rely more on Jesus or have you been relying on the supports? that you have been uh, doing this past little while, right? And as I've been thinking about it, I, I've been realizing that that's, that's really not a fair question to ask if you still have all your supports, eh? So it would be easy for you to figure out whether you uh, spend more time relying on your Christian school or your parents or all the, uh, the external things when you lose them. But what if you don't, haven't lost them? What if you still have a great spouse that loves Jesus and you have a great family that loves Jesus and you have a great church? I hope you think this is a good church. And all that kind of thing. What if those things are there? How do you know that you are in a spot where you are relying more on Jesus as the foundation of your faith than those things. Well, it would be hard to tell unless you lost them, but I actually think that the way that you and I figure out or determine whether or not we're relying too heavily on external supports is how we respond to change. Okay? A lot of times in church, change is seen as the enemy, right? And here's what I want to say this morning, is how you and I respond to change is the best indicator to determine if your love of Jesus relies too heavily on the external supports or more heavily on Jesus himself. Why? Because over time, the things that we, we tend to uh, put more weight on the things that we know are constant, and when those things are pulled away, we, or we can't do those things anymore, then we're in a situation where we're going to have to learn how to rely on 
God more. The reality is, friends, God designed life to constantly change. Change in our friendships. Our bodies change. We, born, we, get, we were born, we grow up, we, we are young, we grow old, and then we die. You might have to stop working one day. That is a change. You could lose your independence, your kids, or your spouse. They might grow up and move on. You might have this tight family unit that you have used to survive in your Christian faith, and then one day your kids move on. Maybe they walk away from Jesus. Every single one of us has faced transitions in life. Some of those transitions are exciting, and some of them are extremely disappointing. But the meaning of a true transition is that you cannot go back. Transitions might be joyful or painful, but they, do, they, but they change everything. We can't go back to the way things used to be, for this reason or that reason. And how we handle it, I think, really depends, shows where our heart's at and where we rely more on the external things than, than our faith in Jesus alone. Because when those things are pulled away, if we tank, I think it shares... That, that maybe we've put too, without meaning to, we've put too much trust in them. I've shared this story before about my, my grandma, right? And how my grandma, uh, she lived, she, she grew up, and she uh, almost died in uh, South Vancouver. She wouldn't move out of there. She had her friends there, her church there, her, grew up school there, all that kind of, that's a small area, right? Well, as uh, time went on, the technologies changed, so she loved taking pictures, and everyone went digital, Everyone started getting caller ID. Everyone started getting answering machines, and she wouldn't get it, you know, all that kind of thing. The Internet came around, and all the families started talking on the Internet, started texting, started phoning each other, wouldn't do it. And so her inability to change actually pushed her away from the family because everyone else was trying to connect. And it became a big hassle. I remember she says, well, why doesn't everyone just, you know, develop pictures? And in that day, like, everyone had a digital camera, and it was, it was weird because you couldn't find a place that developed film anymore. <laughs> or if they did, it would be really expensive, right? It even happened at her church level. I remember that she went to this awesome church, Oak Ridge Baptist Church, the first church I grew up in. And over time, the demographic changed. It was uh, white, and then it became all the immigration. It became Asian. And so the church actually changed from an English-speaking church to a Cantonese-speaking church. And because she didn't want to change churches, she'd just sit there and listen to the message and listen to the sermon in a completely different language, <laughs> right, without any change, right? And I told you that what wound up happening is, is that her, her health deteriorated over time. And she would not move out of the house because she couldn't change. She, this is the house that I'm going to live. I'm going to live. I'm going I'm to die in, in this house. And by this time, the family had moved all the way to Kelowna. And the family actually had to drive down every weekend from Kelowna to make sure she was okay. okay. Well, eventually it got too bad for my, or too strenuous for our family to do that. So... My aunt moved her up to a home in Kelowna, and, and this is what happens, right? Like, the shell, she became a shell of herself because she spent her whole life trying to make sure that everything stayed the same. And then when this change was forced upon her, I walked into her room, and she was, do you know, like, there are people who are scared, but then there are people who are terrified? She was terrified. It was a beautiful retirement place. 
and there was no pictures, there was no furniture. It looked like a sterile hospital room. Dan, I want to go home. Grandma, you're, someone bulldozed your home. Can't go home now. I want to see my friends. Grandma, all your friends passed away. And I watched her in her last years um, shrivel away because she had spent her whole life not really learning to adapt to change. And when change was forced upon her, she couldn't take it. And I believe that that is somehow, some way, change happens to us. And if we do not learn to thrive in an environment where our external supports are taken away, you're going to end up like my grandma in a spiritual space. And I don't want that. I want you to thrive no matter what circumstance you're in, right? And here's what I think is so cool about Daniel. Daniel went through transitions. He was not, Daniel saw God, not just God of the good times, he was also God of the bad times. He was not just God of Israel, but he was the God of Babylon. He was, not, he was God when he was young, he was God when he was old, he was God when he, was exer- he had the ability to exercise great influence over the governing nations. When he found out that, he found out that God was always there and he could always trust him, and that not only was he able to thrive in transition, he was able to thrive in transition again and again and again and again. When he went through all these different changes, when he went through not only losing his home country, but losing Babylon and learning how to re- live in Persia. And, and finally, we come to Daniel chapter 12. And I need you to hear this, is that Daniel, normal never returned for Daniel. And he was able to thrive because all those changes that happened in his life forced him to rely on God rather than his Christian school or his strong family background or his church or his favorite worship music or whatever. Why? Because he didn't have those things. They were constantly taken away from you. And I believe that if we are to survive in a culture that is different than our own, you and I need to, to adapt to the change that happens. And I know some of you do not like change. So what I would like to do this morning is I would like to share with you from Daniel chapter 12 five changes God is going to make that you can look forward to. And the reason that I am uh, sharing with you changes that you can look forward to is because I want you to know that whatever change that happens, whatever you go through, if you wind up losing your health or you wind up not having to work like you're able, or you lose your independence or your wealth, or you lose your Christian culture, or you lose your Christian school, or you, know, you lose the way the church was and all that kind of thing, you can still have a thriving relationship with Jesus because you know the changes that he's going to make in the end are good. So this is supposed to be encouraging for you, okay? Everyone say amen. 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 Okay. So with that, that's, that's the longest introduction I've had. <laughs> Okay. With that, let's get into our text this morning, and we are looking at Daniel chapter 12. Okay. Now to recap, just so everyone is on the same board, or same place, Daniel chapter 10, 11, and 12 are all part of the same story. They're all part of the same vision. Daniel has a vision from God, and 10, 11, 12, it's one unit. He's, 
It's explaining everything about this vision in three chapters, okay? So chapter 10, Daniel gets the vision. We're told that he gets the vision, and he's so terrified of the vision that all that chapter 10 deals with is restoring Daniel's strength because he's so, he's so overwhelmed at the, 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 the violent and, and overwhelming evil in the dream that he sees. Okay? Chapter 11 is actually the interpretation of the dream, and he goes on, and we explained about that last week. And then chapter 12, what chapter 12 is, is it's, is it's a chapter in how the angel explains to Daniel how he's going to wrap it all up, and the people of God are going to enjoy victory. Okay? So let me give you a few changes that God is going to make that you are going to look forward to. Number one, you can, the change that God is going to make is that God will stop and deliver you from the pain. Listen to what it says in the text this morning. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall arise, Michael being an angel, the great prince who is in charge of your people. And there shall be a great time of trouble, such has never been seen or since, the nation, since there was a nation, till all that time. At that time, there shall rise Michael, the great prince of your people. And, oh, I repeated that twice. <laughs> okay. Daniel chapter 11, or sorry, uh, let, me, let, me fix, uh, let me finish the verse here. But at the appointed time, your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name is found in the book of life. Daniel chapter 11 tells us about a time where things will get much, much, much worse for the people of God. It talks about the idea that before Jesus comes back, an Antichrist will arise and make war on God's people. The angel in chapter 11 tells Daniel, 150 years from now, there is going to rise up a ruler who is going to really hurt and oppress the people. And at the, end of the, and at the end of the world, there's going to be a man that rises up just like him and does this. This refers to the time of persecution for Israel and the world known as the Great Tribulation. This period of time is also called the time of Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 7. And what will happen during this time is there will be so much trouble since there was a nation even that they have never seen it before. And I want you to understand this for a minute. The Jewish people have known, a time, have known many times of trouble throughout their history. There was the horrors of the fall of Samaria and the terrors brought by Antiochus, I shared with you that last week, to the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, to the persecution of Jews in the Dark Ages, to their, uh, to their gaslighting in Europe, and to the 20th century, the Holocaust. It often seems that Israel's history has been a time of trouble. Yet, before Jesus comes back, this time of trouble will be different. It will be worse. And I want you to understand that. Is I, don't, I, don't, I, I often think about the last 100 years of human history and how much demonic activity has to be poured out on the world for something like the Holocaust to happen. In the time leading up to Jesus, it will get much worse. 
Jesus quoted this passage in Matthew 24, verse 21. For then there will be a great tribulation, such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall ever be. With greatness, sadness, we must say that the Bible teaches that the worst has yet to come. And you know what? I'm going to tell you that that's a very good thing. I don't hear an amen to that. (laughs) Why? Because at some time, at some point, God is not only going to make you and I survive that time, He is going to deliver you from that. It says so in the text. And here's what I've understood about God. God generally delivers us from a a few ways. Number one, he'll deliver us around a problem. Number Number two, he'll deliver us through a problem. And number three, what I think he will do is he will actually make the problem cease. And what I know about God is whatever trial or tribulation comes, he's going to deliver it through it, and eventually he's going to put an end to it. Okay? Here's what I need you to hear. Here's the application part for this. I believe that Jesus is in your pain. Or Jesus invites you to be in that pain. I know that most of us have invited Jesus into our hearts, but when was the last time that you invited Jesus into your pain? Pain is a gift from God because it tells you that something is not right, something is wrong. And that is supposed to uh, make you focus and put your focus, okay, God, um, this hurts, I need help. And it brings you and draws you closer to God, okay? And what I need you to understand is the pain that they are going through here ultimately forces them to a place where they depend on God, and God will deliver and heal them from pain, okay? What are the stresses and pains that you are going through in your life right now. I want you to think about that. Because it's likely that's where Jesus wants to meet you. Number one, God is going to deliver you pain. That's a good change. The second change that I think you should look forward to is that God will raise the dead. Looking on in the scripture in verse 2, it says this, And many of those who fall asleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. I want you to catch this. Daniel is an elderly man. He is, about, he is close to death. He knows his days are numbered, and he gets a peek into the resurrection, that there is an everlasting place of life and an everlasting place of contempt. We know this today is heaven and hell. And I want to point this out to you, Because there are some who grew up in the church today who question the idea of heaven and hell, and their sole basis on it is that the Old Testament never speaks about it. But here we see an allusion to it, because whatever their people are risen to is a place that is everlasting. It's either everlasting shame or it's everlasting life. Daniel talks about life after death. Okay? And here's, here's what I want you to catch. I'm moving on here. It says this, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky, and those, who turn, and those who turn many to righteousness like stars will be forever and forever. That's talking about people who will evangelize and share the good news of Jesus and the, the reward they get. The, the big thing that I want you to understand is that the big question 
that the entire world has been asking for the last two years is the question that Scripture is answering. What happens after you die? There are historically many answers to this question, and I'll give you a few. The first is that you cease to exist. That's mainly an atheistic view. You just live, you die, and you're done, and that's hopeless. Okay? A number of years ago, when I was a youth pastor, uh, I had a girl by the name, I'll call her Amy, it's not a really name, and uh, she was a bad person. Bad person. In every sort of way that you could characterize a person, she was just not likable, I, she was not great, she didn't, she didn't do great, she, I didn't, if I were honest, there were youth that I didn't want to come to youth, she was one of them, right? She didn't accept Jesus into her heart, I know that much, and she graduated for youth, and probably a year or two after that she, that she, uh, that she graduated, she committed suicide and passed away. So I went to her memorial service, and I have never, ever, ever seen a bunch of people that wanted to get out of there faster, okay? And they got up there, and I remember, like, how are they going to do this? This wasn't a good person. Everyone knew what kind of person she was, and the officiant got up, and he went up, and he started sharing, and the first thing out of his mouth is, we need to remember and mourn, the, and, and we need to heal from all the memories that we had of her that were good. And I was like, there were no good memories of her. And so everyone went up, one after the other, and they lied. They lied about what kind of person she was, or if it was true, it was very superficial. And eventually someone comes up and he shares, I don't know if there's a God, but if there's a God, I don't know why. And he breaks down right in front of everybody and cries, hopelessness. Most of our world believes that, I would say. The other option is everyone dies and goes to heaven. And I think we do a complete disservice every time we say that when someone passes away, they, they aren't suffering anymore. How do you deal with the whole justice thing if everyone goes to heaven? Then there's the cartoon version of heaven. You know what the cartoon version of heaven is? That you die, you get wings, you get a cloud, a harp, and you're a chubby baby forever. <laughs> That's not in the Bible. Okay? Why I am telling you this is because this is a change that you can look forward to because, friend, the worst thing in the world is not to die. The worst thing in the world is to die without Jesus. And a lot of people showed their true colors these past few years. The most practical teaching that I could ever give you is that there's life beyond this one. We don't think of it that way. We tend to think of heaven and hell as sort of like an exercise in intellectualism. But I want to tell you, your view of the afterlife affects everything about your marriage, about how you raise your kids, about how you, uh, your sense of justice, your work ethic, even if you're a good worker. And I told you my story about how that affected my ability to work and my ability to be a good husband. And it all came down to whether or not I believed that there was life after death. That is a change that you can look forward to. Okay? Number three, God will make these changes soon. This is something else that you can look forward to. But verse four says this, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and sealed the book until the time of the end. 
Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. There are two interpretations of what this verse means. Daniel describes a characteristic of the time of the end. Verse 4 is about how people will act at the end. Many take this prediction as being fulfilled in the ability to travel or the, the ability for our information explosion of the modern age. Is that people will run about trying to find answers to important questions, especially in reference to future events. The other uh, interpretation is that when it says that many will run to and fro and knowledge shall increase, it is a reference to the actual knowledge of the book of Daniel. And here's what I'm going to say about this is, either way, I think that this means that Jesus is coming back soon. I'm not the Holy Spirit, I don't know, right? And I'm not going to say that he's going to come back on May the 4th or whatever or anything like that. But I think that he's coming back very, very soon based on both interpretations. If you went with the interpretation that this is, a, this is an interpretation about knowing more about Daniel, then I would say that uh, we know quite a bit. Or it's the other way around, where uh, if it's an interpretation about our times, I would say that we live in the time. And unless God allows Elon Musk to colonize Mars... And we're not flying, we're flying in starships. I think this verse is talking about the era that we live in now. I don't know. It's my guess. You know. But I know that right now, the vast, the amount of our, our collective knowledge as a human race, someone correct me if I'm wrong in this, doubles every 12 minutes. Do you believe that? That's crazy. Our scientific knowledge, our knowledge of the universe doubles every 12 minutes. I want you to think just about how crazy the last 120 years have been. People didn't fly 120 years ago. People certainly wouldn't have been able to do church online 120 years ago. We live in an era where we have a lot of knowledge. And if he is coming back soon, friends, there is an urgency that I think that we have. I've watched some of you uh, go during harvest time and seeding time, and there is an urgency. we got to get it done. Okay? And I am telling you, whether it's 100 years from now or 100 minutes from now, there is an urgency. You need to be sharing the good news of Jesus because now is the time of salvation. Now is the time of harvest. Okay? There is an urgency. He is coming back soon. Number four, uh, God rules over all changes. Okay. Verse 5, Then I looked, and behold, two others stood, one on the bank of the stream and one on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be until the end of these wonders? And then I heard a man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times times and a half, and a half a time. And when that shattering of the power of the holy people comes to end all these things, it would be finished. Then I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the appointed time. And without like getting into a really 
huge explanation and showing the work. What I'm going to say here is what we are being told here is that the horrors of the Antichrist will last about three and a half years. And God is telling us that no matter what evil might happen, he will shorten the days. Do you know what that means? That means is that God has control over the future. Daniel is suffering. He sees bad things coming. He sees an angel, or maybe even Jesus himself. We're not really sure. And he asks how and why. And the angels, they swear an oath that it's going to happen and God, God will shorten it. And when you know, they raise both hands. Now, here's the thing. When you and I, when people go to court, what do they do? They raise one hand, right? Here, they raise two as a way of saying, I promise. I promise God is going to control this. I promise God is going to short this. Everything is like a script to God that was written before, before, uh, beforehand. The loss of a loved one didn't surprise God. Your failed business didn't catch God off guard. Any change that happens in the future is not beyond God's foresight or his ability. Any change is in God's hands, and that is something that you should look forward to. Lastly, God changes the broken from the beautiful. It says this in verse 10 all the way to 12. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined. But the wicked shall act wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise who will understand. And from that time, uh, from the time of regular burnt offerings is taken away, and the abomination that is made desolate is set up, shall be 1,290 days. Blessed are you who waits and arrives at 1,335 days. All right, so let me just say this. And I'll, and I'll end. What we're reading here is that Daniel is saying, Daniel is asking the question, how long it's going to be? And he's given an answer, and Daniel says, I, I don't understand what that means. Faith comes by hearing the word of God, not always understanding it. Don't feel bad if you're reading the Bible. Let's say let's say like Daniel, and you don't get it. Daniel experienced it, and he wrote it, and he didn't get it all. There are things that are hard for us to comprehend or understand, and it doesn't always mean that they're true. So when you look at the numbers, and we're like, what do the numbers mean, and all that kind of thing, and what are the speculation? Here's the thing. I could speculate for hours. It's what, it's what pastors love to do, right? right? But it's Mother's Day. <laughs> right? Here's what I'm going to say. Even, here's what I'm going to tell you. I'm not going to speculate. I could, but I'm going to tell you that we're, we'll see. We'll see what those numbers mean and what they represent. We'll see what God has planned in the future. Everything he's got, he he's architected and he orchestrated well and it will come to pass. The thing I want to focus on as we end is how God makes dirty people clean. He uses the language of purify and white and refined, and he's talking about you, that if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, what happens is that you are made whole and brand new. Sometimes in our past, Liz and I have come across people who have been assaulted, and they often tell us that the first thing they do is shower because they feel defiled, unclean, and dirty. And that is what sin does. Not only does the body get dirty, so does the soul. Not only does the body get defiled, so does our hearts. 
Not only do we need to be cleansed bodily, we need to be cleansed in our soul. And what happens is when we sin, we, we look at it as something as a ladder. It's disgusting. And we're ashamed of it. And we're embarrassed about it. And the question is, is what are you going to do about it? And lately, we've been arriving where people have been frantic about cleanliness. There are many ways to cleanse your body, but there are not a lot of ways to cleanse your soul, right? And here's what I want you to catch. The whole point of Daniel in deleting into the future is talking about the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus and how Jesus comes and he's going to take all those things that are dirty about you, all those things that you're ashamed of, all those things that you are going to lock in your, in your mind and, tell us, and take with you to grave. He is going to make you white as snow. 1 John 1, 18. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if, it is, but, if we are, but if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to cleanse us from all righteousness. God will take your shame away. That's a great change. Amen. Amen. Two years ago, two and a half years ago, I was sitting on the stage being interviewed to be your pastor. And a lot of people asked me what would happen if I came to Manor. And one of the questions that was asked of me would be, what changes would you make in Manor? And I foolishly made the promise that during my first year, nothing would change. My intention was not to change anything, but then four months later, everything changed, isn't there? Right? Everything changed about Manor. Some things came back, some didn't. We had new places to sit in church for a while. The body had not been together for a while. There were new ways of doing Sunday school. Potlikes have changed. Dallas was pretty happy about that. Like, there were new ways of doing offering for a while. The children's ministry had changed. How long the service was, had changed for a while. How we pray for people changed after a while. How we did communion changed. How we did adult Sunday school changed. We did Zoom for a while there. How many services we held changed? We did two for a while, eh? Once a month, the once a month coffee had changed. We weren't able to do that. How we tell children's stories had changed. We did the puppet show. That became a thing. Where the pulpit is on the stage has changed. Okay? The PowerPoint has changed. How many members we've had have changed. Who calls matter home has changed. Coffee has changed. Who's been through baptism changed. Having a hot coffee in church changed. We couldn't have it last week. The library selected. Everything has changed in the last two years. And I've been asking myself, why did God allow me to say something so stupid when I came? <laughs> the very first thing that you learn in Bible college about pastoring a church is never to change things in the first couple of years. So why would God force manner into a season where we had to change everything. And I mean everything, right down to the windows, right down to where we sat. Why did God allow that in manner? He could have allowed it and set it up in such a way where we didn't have to. Here's the reason, I think. I think the biggest reason God has put us in a season of change is because everything forced us to rely more on Jesus 
and less on our external supports. So I'm going to ask the question uh, as we close the series, this, uh, and I, I want you to take some time to think about it. What changes have you made these past four months to ensure that you rely more on Jesus than your strong Christian family or your school or your parents' faith or your church culture? None of those things are bad. And if you have them, praise God. But could your faith survive if you lost all the supports? That has been the message of Daniel. And I didn't preach on Daniel just to get through four months of content. My whole intention has been to ask you, are you survive, is your faith strong because of the supports you have? Or do you rely more on Jesus? Let me close with verse 13 and then I'm going to ask Mike to come up and share. But you, Daniel, go your way until the end. And you shall rest and you shall stand in your allotted place at the end of days.